So the name of today's message is Live Free or Die. Doesn't that sound dramatic? Doesn't that sound intense? Anybody know like what, what motto, where that comes from? Anybody? Christian. <laughs> like, I think I know. I heard from over here. What does someone say over here? Live free or die. What's it from? Huh? James Bonds. Okay. <laughs> it might be James Bond. Yeah. Actually, I, I think there was like a Bruce Willis. I think part of the Die Hard tr- trilogy. One of the movies was like Live Free or Die Hard or Die Harder or Die Hardest X or I don't know. Um, so it's... Anyone else? John 10.10. Well, I'm not thinking near as um, like spiritual. I, I'm thinking like like governmental. Um, it's the motto of the state of New Hampshire. That's their, that's their state motto. And it's on everything. Karen and I were in Boston recently and, and, uh, our friends, Josh and Megan pointed it out on the license plate. Look at the license plate, but it's, it's on their coin. It's on their license plates. There's people like, you know how like we fly like Bronco flags on, on Sundays or, you know, you know, they have flags waving on their front porch, live free or die. It's on bumper stickers and t-shirts, and um, it's everywhere. Live free or die. Today I'm sharing from the book of Galatians, and it might as well be Paul's motto. Live free or die. If you're not familiar with Galatians, here's what I want you to do this week. And, I, and it's not what I want you to do. Here's what I am convinced the Lord wants you to do. There's six chapters. It's a letter written in that it's been broken down into the six chapters. Read Galatians this week. It'll take you. I mean, if you really kind of take your time with it, I mean, maybe 15 minutes, 20, I don't know. Paul is so passionate in this letter. And he talks about the theme of freedom. And he talks about this this theme of live free or die. And he says, you are free. Why then are you going back to bondage? You are free. So why are you putting on new chains? You're free. Be free. It's a really interesting read when you're reading it. And I just want to kind of want to tell the story of the book of Galatians real quick. And I want you guys to dig in. But I'll just go ahead and give a little foreshadowing. There's a movie, a zombie movie, a comedy zombie movie called Shaun of the Dead. And um, like at the start of the movie, like they're like, hey, what are you doing today? The guy's like, oh, I'm going to do this and do this and do this and do this. And this is before they realize everybody are zombies. And at that beginning of the movie, he basically lays out what the movie's going to look like and everything that he said he was going to do. Like he ended up doing in like interesting, funny kind of ways throughout. So I'm just going to kind of, it's not going to be funny, but I'm just going to lay out like where we're going with this. The first two chapters, Paul starts off this letter incredibly intense, incredibly passionate. I mean, he doesn't wade in, he jumps in. That's the first two chapters. Chapters three and four, uh, he takes a deep breath. He's still very passionate, but I think he kind of 
settles down a bit. But then when he realizes he's wrapping up the letter, the last two chapters, he gets super intense again. And he's passionate. He's passionate and he's protective of the church. He's protective of the fact that it's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's not Christ and anything else. He starts off the chapter and he, he's like, I just want you, and just to kind of, you'll, you'll see it when you read it. But he starts off saying, this gospel that I'm preaching, I didn't learn it from men. I learned it from Jesus. Because apparently there had been some sort of rumors that, oh, he went and met with, with uh, the leaders of the church and they manipulated him. They manipulated him and indoctrinated him and, and they, they basically turned him. They turned him from being a Jewish leader and a Pharisee. They turned him and they manipulated him. And he got everything that he's speaking, he got from religious folks. And Paul goes to great lengths to say, no, after I experienced Jesus and I lost my sight and I, I met Jesus and I heard from him and he said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my church? And then he got his sight back and the Lord brought a, a brother to him and, and he started hearing about Jesus. After that, he went away and he learned just in the presence of God. There were three years from that time uh, until the point where that he started connecting with the leaders of the church, with Peter and with James. But for three years, he didn't go to learn from men, you see, because he was, he was a Jewish scholar. He was a Pharisee. He had the best education in the world. He learned all about being a Pharisee. He, he had the best schooling, if you will. But when he found Jesus, he said, I don't want to learn from men. I want to learn from God. He was killing Christians. That was his job. He was seeking out and persecuting Christians before he encountered Christ. And his life was changed. And he said, I, I need this to be true. I need this to be pure. I need this to be real. And Lord, I need to learn directly from you. And... So he passionately starts talking about, you know, I'm not, I'm not some puppet. I wasn't manipulated. I, I, I went straight to Jesus. And those of you who are saved, why are you going, and he immediately like changes, like, why are you going back to these old ways? He said, you, you served, you served made up gods. Made up gods. And now you're going back to those things. You know, we, we kind of serve made-up made gods, too. We just don't have them as these iconic things on the shelves that we worship. And they just... Anything that we allow to, to stand in the way between us and God is a god. Little god. Lowercase g. It is an idol. Anything that we refuse to let Jesus be Lord of, it is a god. See, we talk about Jesus. He's Lord and Savior. And we know what Savior means. We know what Savior means. It means He saved us. 
the minute I trusted in Him, my sin washed away. My shame defeated. My past irrelevant because it's my future. I have a future with Christ. A new name. And it's written in the Lamb's book of life. A new destiny. I've been grafted into His family. I've been adopted by God. I am His. My past doesn't matter. What I was saved out of is far less important than what I was saved into. And that's what it is that He's our Savior. But we forget that that He's supposed to be our Lord. You know what that means? He's our master. He calls the shots. He gets his way. He's the boss. He gets his way. That's the part we struggle with because of these gods, because of these things that we place between ourselves and God, because of these things that might, it might be pride or it might be selfishness or it might be fear or it might be bad tradition or bad teaching that we've received. But we place, and a lot of times I think it is unknowingly, we place things between us and God and we say, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me, Jesus. That doesn't work with my schedule. That doesn't work with my preference. It definitely doesn't work with my comfort. What you're saying right now makes me really uncomfortable. Give me another option. And when we do that, it's making something else a God. See, it's, it's not enough that He's Savior. That's not, that's not the work of Jesus. He came to be Lord and Savior. You know why? Because we're not as good as we think we are. And we're not as smart as we think we are. And we're not as noble as we think we are. And, and we don't have it figured out quite as much as we think we do. And he's like, man, I, I love you. And you're cute as can be. I really do love you. Um, but you're, you're wrong. And you're looking at this from a wrong way. And that's not going to lead to life. I need you to trust me. So this is what I'm asking you. And we're like, oh, Lord, I think you're wrong. In the middle, Paul starts talking about Abraham and he talks, starts talking about there's two paths that we can go down and there's one to, you know, making things happen on our own. To bring in about what we think is God's will on our own. And he uses the examples of Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac was a son of promise. The Lord said, you promised Abraham that you will be the father of nations. Look at the stars in the sky. That's how many descendants you'll have. And then when Abraham couldn't have a kid, he forced the matter. He's like, oh, Sarah can't have kids, so I'll, I'll have a kid through my servant. I'll bring about God's destiny in my life. I'll bring about God's will in my life. I'll take, I'll take matters into my own hands. So kind of Paul tells that story and says, no. We're supposed to walk according to the promise of God and trusting in Him. And so he's, he's kind of cool for a couple chapters. And then at the end, he gets fired up again. And, and somewhere towards the beginning there, he starts talking about his experience. After those three years of learning from God, the experience of going to Jerusalem and meeting with... He said, I, I met with Peter. I met with James. He said later on, you know, Peter came again. And 
And, and I'll kind of circle back on this. And he points out, he kind of calls Peter on some stuff. There's Peter. He's an apostle. He was a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He's revered. He's a hero in the faith. And Paul calls him on some stuff. We'll get back to that later. And at the end, he is fired up all over again. So I want to read how Paul wraps up his letter. And when you're reading, I'd encourage you guys to, to put a voice to it. Put a tone to it. So Galatians 6, 11. And, and before I read it, like, you know, when you're texting, you text all caps. What does that mean? Either angry or you're yelling or you're super excited. You're like, Broncos tickets, yes! All caps. Or you're like, what? No, I didn't do that. All caps. So this is how Paul wraps up Galatians 6, verse 11. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. All caps. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised, which, which was a, a religious act. It was something that the Jews did before as a form of, of declaring righteousness. And, and it was no longer needed because of the work of Jesus. Those who are trying you to force to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. Verse 13, and even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Verse 14, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. Those little gods in my life have been crucified, but they stay dead. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy. And then he's like, I got to end this, this letter. It's like, I got two sentences left. I got to bring it back down. I can't end like that. So he's like, okay. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. But then he, he kicks it back up again. He's like, from now on, don't let anybody trouble me with these things. For I bear on my body the scars that show that I belong to Jesus. Love his intensity. Then he says, okay, I can't end the letter like that again. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I love that. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be troubled with it again. I don't want to be bothered with this again. The scars on my body bear witness to who my Lord is, who my God is. You guys, there is no way to attain righteousness on our own. There's no religious act you can do. And, and most of us, that's good news. Most of us are like, oh, thank God I couldn't do it anyway. I couldn't do it. I couldn't... I couldn't be righteous on my own if I tried. For most of us, that's good news. But for some of us, that's, that's tough because we're like, well, surely there's something I can do. I mean, I'm a doer. You know, I'm a, I'm a go person. I, I, you know, surely there's something I can do, but not when it comes to our righteousness, guys. 
It's righteousness in Christ alone. It's righteousness in Jesus alone. You guys, when you read this, and please read this, it's intense. Like Paul, he is fired up. And the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Man, Paul comes close. He's angry at points, and he comes close to sinning. And and the big theme that he's fired up about is this theme of circumcision. So let's let's set aside what circumcision is, and let's kind of think about for a second that it's that religious attempt to show your own righteousness, okay? It's that religious attempt to say, okay, if you do this, you're good. If you do this, you do this religious act, then you'll be cleansed. You'll be pure. He is fired up about it. And he's fired up about it because when he went to meet with some religious, he, he, religious leaders, he, he brought a couple of friends with him. He brought Barnabas and he brought Titus. And apparently there was some sort of discussion about, hey, uh, Titus might need to be circumcised. And they're like, no, let's... And this is this, the, relig- the Christian leaders at this point. This is church Christian leaders. And they're like, okay, we'll give them a pass. And I think that sent up a red flag to Paul. And then Peter who is a leader in the church, awesome Christian dude. He, he kind of blows it. And I want to I use this to, to just kind of point out the obvious. Whoever stands up, whoever speaks up here, although it's raised up 12 inches, 11 inches, whatever that is, so that we can have better, better visibility, this is not a pedestal. Nobody up here is meant to be put on a pedestal. I am a dude just like you were dudes, like female and male dudes. And there's times I blow it. There's times my faith, as I shared earlier, isn't as strong as it should be. There's times I don't ask for help like I should. And Peter blew it. Because see, Peter had this amazing encounter with God. Peter had this dream. And in this dream, the Lord lowered down this sheet and it had all types of animals. And and God said, hey, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, Lord, I, I can't eat those animals. Those I, I'm, a, I'm a good Jewish boy and, and some of the, those animals are dirty and I can't eat it. And Jesus does this three times. Three times he gives him the exact same dream. And at the end of each time he says, don't call unclean anything I've made. He has a dream again. And Peter, same thing in the dream. Lord, I can't eat any of that. It's unclean. Don't call unclean what God has made. A third time. Lord, I can't eat. I can't eat that. That's unclean. Why does that matter? Because he was sticking to religion instead of listening to the revelation of God. And then after that point... Someone unclean, a Gentile, a non-Jew, invited him into his home to eat. Come eat with us. Come eat with our family and tell us about Jesus. And then Peter's like, okay, Lord, I see what you're saying. 
because see, you know, the, the Jewish elites weren't allowed to do that. They weren't allowed to go into the homes of you and I, just non-Jewish, you know, Gentiles. And somehow, and for some reason, th- there was a group of influential people. I imagine, you know, I mean, you know, there were influential people that kind of permeated the church. And, the, and it, as you're reading, you're going to see, um, Paul calls them spies. He said they weren't even real Christians. They were spies meant to skew and distort what we were preaching. And somehow they influenced Peter. And Peter, once again, he used to be eating, he used to eat with Gentiles and he stopped eating with Gentiles. For whatever reason, he went back. And it made Paul furious. And that's why he's so adamant. He's like, why would you go back to the old way? Why would you go back to old religion? Why would you go back to the old way of doing things when you know that Jesus is the only way? And he gets fired up to the point. And I've got to share it because you're going to read it. And you're going to say, does he mean? And I need to confirm, yes, that is what he means. To the point where he's talking about circumcision and he's talking about the part of the male body that gets circumcised. And he says, if it's such a big deal to you, why don't you cut it off? He says, forget circumcision. Why don't you want you be castrated if it's such a big deal to you? He is angry. It's the same word that when, and it's only used a few times in scripture, where it says, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it off. If your, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And it's, it's talking about this drastic measure. It's the same word used when Peter, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when he drew the sword and he cut off the, the ear of the slave. It's the same word for cut off. And Paul's like, he's so sick of the fact that Peter went back to this. And it's, I don't know if it's the best way. I mean, they didn't have a telephone. He couldn't just pick him up. He couldn't text. He couldn't call. He could be like, Peter, we need to get together, dude. What are you doing, man? What are you thinking, bro? We need to get together. He they didn't have the liberties we have. But man, he airs Peter's dirty laundry. And because of that, um, we think that they never reconciled, that Peter and Paul just became enemies. They, they became foes. They became Rocky and Clubber Lang. And, and they just began, you know, fighting and never reconciled. And that's not the truth. I mean, you know, they had disagreement, but it wasn't this brawl for the ages. I, I, by the way, when I, when I see this picture, um, I imagine like a little discussion that no one else is privy to. He's like, all right, let's go. Let's go, Clubber. We're going to fight. Clubber's like, I'm going to kill you, fool. Rocky's like, yeah, but my hair is awesome. And Clubber's like, yeah, but my hair is iconic. Look at that and how I do my beard. Raggy's like, yeah, but no one wants to touch that. They want to touch my hair, eh? And I just, I just imagine this intense conversation about their hair. Because let's be honest, they both have pretty fantastic hair. And let's be honest, I, I have hair envy. Um, I want you guys to know that, that 
Peter and Paul, they, they reconcile, they, they cooperate, they work together. But what we're going to read in Galatians is not that moment in the history of their relationship. So why, why do I kind of tell this story and bring us to this place? Paul is absolutely right in his passion to say it is Christ and Christ alone. No other effort you do will bring you righteousness. There's no religious act that you and I can do to make us clean and whole and pure and saved and forgiven. Only believing in Jesus. Only trusting in Him. In chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 3, Paul says, May God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God, our Father, planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. And then he immediately gets fired up. Says, I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God. You guys read it. Man. Read it and assign tone. Read it and read it in context. Give it a voice. Man, if, if, if you look at, this is, this is the, the Bible app. And you see that like really dark color. In my, in my tone I'm giving this. Those are the times that Paul's yelling. And then yellow's like, okay, okay, he's caught his breath. Then he's yelling again, and for six chapters it's that way. I mean, but how does this apply to you and I? How is this relevant to you and I? We're, we're passionate people, and we're supposed, to get, we're supposed to get fired up sometimes. And sometimes we're supposed to communicate that. And there's a way to speak the truth in love. I'm telling you right now, I, I'm just being honest. As, as a pastor, the most frustrating, and it's funny, because other pastors will ask this of each other. It's not like a network thing. It's not like, there's not a book. We just randomly find ourselves doing this. Other pastors will ask me, what's the hardest thing about being a pastor? And I don't have to think. I already know the answer. I'm like, the hardest thing about being a pastor is I'll stand up here and I'll point people to Jesus and I'll show them what the Word of God says and I'll show them what Jesus has to say about a specific subject. And they won't do it. That's the hardest thing about being a pastor. I'll sit there and say, according to what Jesus said, unforgiveness is killing you. It's got a root in your life. And so this bitterness that you're feeling and the anger that you're feeling, it's unforgiveness. And Jesus says, you won't be free until you forgive. And it's not letting that person off the hook. It's just saying, Jesus, you forgave me. So I will forgive them. You forgave me of all my sins. So I will forgive them of the horrendous thing they did against me or against my loved one. And I'll sit there and say, Jesus says you won't be free. You will carry that weight and that bondage and it's associated with heaviness and depression and you won't be free from that unless you forgive. And people will go, I'm not going to forgive. Jesus is not Lord of that part of my life. I won't forgive. 
Actually, what, what, what people say is, I can't forgive. That's not the truth. That's not the truth. The truth is, I won't forgive. Or, I'll stand up here and say, the Bible says, and Jesus says, if you trust me, and if you walk with me, I'll turn this situation around for your good, for my glory. But walk with me. Trust me. Don't walk on your own strength. And people will say, no, I'm bound to determine to do this on my own. I got myself into this problem and I'm going to get myself out because I'm Lord of my life. I'm master of my domain. And so they walk in bondage and they keep taking a cycle. They, they take another lap around the mountain. It's the hardest part of being a pastor. I'm not, I'm just, I'm being way nicer than Paul. I'm just letting you know when you read Galatians, you're going to see, I am so much nicer than Paul at this moment. It's Jesus and it's Jesus alone. It's Jesus and it's Jesus alone. It's trust. It's belief. You can't pay the price for what you did. You can't pay the price. You can't pay the debt. It's a debt that's too great. You can't do it. I can't do it. And and we should never go back. We should never go back. We don't live our lives in the rearview mirror. We live our lives with the bigness of that windshield in front of us. God saying, come on, I've given you the green light. Let's go. There's great things to be done. There's blessings to be had. Walk with me. There's joys you haven't even imagined. You haven't had peace in years. See, look at that. There's peace down the road. Let's go. And we live in freedom. And Paul's saying, are you stinking kidding me? You're willing to give up your freedom and go back to that. And he uses two examples. He uses religion and old sinful things. And he says, neither one of them satisfy. Man, if God has given you a voice and he has given you a voice, even if you think I'm the quietest person in this room, when we look around that room and we go, okay, who's the quietest person in that room? I never have the thought that Sarah Herman's the quietest person in the room. Never. That, she's, she's in there smiling. I was going to say me. I promise you. I was going to say me. I was going to say, I never think Mark's the quietest person in this room. But I saw Sarah smile and she's like, I already know where you're going. It ain't me. It ain't me. Whoever, if you think, yeah, I'm probably the, the most quiet or I'm the most timid or I'm whatever, you still have a voice. And we're to use that voice to declare Jesus and Jesus alone. Am I being redundant enough? Am I saying this enough where that when you leave here today and someone goes, oh, what, what, did, what did Mark talk about today? That you can say he talked about Jesus and Jesus alone is the way to peace and salvation.